Ke dollar sign huh. Cash uh. Do you know ketchup? Hello, I'm your host, Samuel Hansen, and you're listening to Combinations and Permutations Episode 63, brought to you by AcmeScience.com. Today we bring you the most optimal episode in combinations and permutations history. And by that, I really mean we're talking about linear programming, nonlinear programming, dual problems, and maybe a bit or a lot on the simplex method. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Combinations and Permutations, the mathematical podcast. That comes to you from AcmeScience.com, now the home of three amazing podcasts, because even though I announced it on the last episode, this is still within, we're recording within the first week of Sam and Dan and being released to the world, where I and my buddy from Boston, Daniel Sai, get together and talk about our favorite science fiction movies. We Our first episode is Sam and Dan and Buckaroo Banzai. I also want to remind everyone that Acme Science is also the home of Strongly Connected Components, which is a mathematical interview show, and there is an episode coming out this week with John Allen Paulos, who is an incredibly famous New York Times best-selling popular mathematics author. That was a nerve-wracking interview. But we're not here really to talk about those. I just want to plug those straight off the top. If that annoys you, send me an email, samuel at acmescience.com. Uh, but we are here because this is... I almost said strongly connected components. This is combinations and permutations, where we take some topic and don't talk about it. And I, as always, I have guests on with me. First up is a person who has not been on in a long time and has the second worst facial hair we have ever had on this podcast, Mr. Christopher Bates. I just need a few more months to let it come in. And uh, someone is talking and is muted. And next up is another long time ago guest. He was a guest, as was Chris, on the very first episode. I, I wouldn't suggest going back listening to it. Go back to like episode four, which I think is a calculus cage match, because that first episode's audio quality is horrendous. I'm very sorry about that, everyone. Uh, but this is the man who uh, has never had any superpowers and maybe... Maybe someday, if his fairy godmother comes through, might just get some Anthony Solari. I'm thinking if I grow my mustache out and my beard, that that'll give me the superpowers. If I want to see everyone, you with facial hair. Yeah, that would be awesome. Because everybody else in here has facial hair. I'm, I'm feeling left out. Uh, well, I except don't. for you. I These really don't. don't. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, as Anthony just teased, we have the winner of Combination... Combinations and Permutations, Episode 50, Quiz Show Extravaganza, and also the home of the official beard of Combinations <laughs> and, and permutations, permutations, Mr. Cody Palmer. I, 
I feel honored that I could be considered the home for my beers. That's, <laughs> I was going to say the owner, but I, I feel that that beard no, is, yeah. is gone no. beyond owners the, at this the, point. The beard owns. Yeah, the beard owns me is really how it goes. <laughs> can you get an echo in that at all, like in your beard? Why don't you jump in and see if you can figure it out for yourself first? No, trust me, there's okay. enough food in there. It's true. Yeah, you it's can true. eat. Eat for a week. <laughs> Okay, so as, as I, uh, I was going to say intimated earlier, but that's wrong because I actually literally said it. Uh, we always have some sort of a topic, some sort of mathematical topic specifically, that we cover on each episode of Combinations and Permutations. This week, we're going to talk about how to get things done in the best possible way. Mathematically? Optimization? Optimization oh, right? man, oh. I think that that might be the first time anyone has ever, like, actually guessed from... <laughs> like, I wasn't even done. I was going to say more things. But Cody, this is the reason he won, people. Mm. This is the reason that Reflexes. he gets such an awesome intro every time he's on. I'm blushing. I, I, think, he pulled, I think he pulled out now of his beard. I, honestly, we can't tell that you're blushing. <laughs> the beard covers the beard. it up. And that is, it's like the ultimate interpersonal communication aid. Mm-hmm. One, people just come up to talk to you about it. It's true. And two, they can't tell that you're nervous or blushing or, you know, sweaty because it just covers it all up. Unless you get too sweaty and then the sweat actually, starts dripping actually, out of it. I don't sweat under there, actually. Mm. I don't. It's very... <laughs> Well, again, again, think of it. This is a very good insulator, so very little outside, you know, influence is affected uh, on on directly on the skin. There, it's saved by this this wonderful. Would you buffer. say it's the optimal insulator? <laughs> Probably not, but close. Oh, okay. And so, uh, do any of you uh, want to give me a definition of what mathematical optimization or mathematical programming is? Another term that is used for it uh, is. In the most general, general possible sense? General. See, I don't know that I could give it to you in the most general possible sense. Oh, then give me non-general. I'm, I'm familiar with optimization in calculus. That's what I know. Okay. We, we have optimization problems in calculus where the idea is to f- you have a function and you're, ultimately you want to find its maximum or its minimum. Um, and it, this is applied to various sort of real-world problems. Um, and then isn't there an element of optimization in calculus of variations too? Calculus of variations is, I'm from what I, I know, oh, next to nothing about it. Uh, but from what I was able to tell, the entire thing is optimization. All right. All right. <laughs> uh, it, now, if you want to go into a slightly more general, general way, is mathematical optimization is picking the best possible element from a set of available elements. How are we? How are we defining best? Well, it depends on the problem. So you're given some sort of a problem, and you're given some sort of available uh, solution, some set of possible solutions, and you just choose the best one for however the problem's set up. And that's what optimization is in, in the most absolutely basic possible definition of it. Now, why why would we actually be interested in optimization beyond sort of a masturbatory? mathematician doing it just like oh th- here's some equations let's figure out what's going to make this the smallest yeah I mean, because i mean we're i mean we masturbate for a living i i mean that's what mathematics <laughs> is we're just pleasuring ourselves with weird things in our mind uh 
But why would we want to do it in, in sort of a real uh, scenario? Like, why, why is the study of optimization important? I don't know, basic calculus problems. Um, one of the reasons might be you want to optimize, say, the profit for your particular company. So you got the, you know, you have your profit function. You just want to find the maxima. And then you want to find all the variables that correspond to that maxima. So, you, you know, that might be how much you buy, how much you sell, whatever. Uh, you also might, they like really simple ones, trying to maximize the size of a box, say. Oh, yeah, I hated those, those were, fucking problems. <laughs> that's like one any calc 2 student. So let's give it. I mean, th this is one. I, I mean, I'm going to talk about non-calculus optimization. But since you guys all seem uh, kind of adept at the calculus side of things, and I'm apparently going to be talking about linear programming Correct. all oh. by myself. I can, I can talk about linear programming. Okay. Well, well, thank you. Thank you for not making me talk about that all by myself because... Well, I could do it. As a matter of fact, I do do it every single <laughs> semester for like a month and a half. Yep. All by myself. Uh, I don't think our listeners want to listen to a lecture. Oh, also, uh, speaking of listeners, uh, Alex Corner, I'm uh, not the least bit sorry for calling you Alex Cole last week, you fucker. Uh, <laughs> Slam. Yep. Uh, okay, so... Um, I mean, we're trying. Like, how how does calculus help you optimize? Why would you use calculus as a tool for optimization? I can't even fucking remember anymore. It's been so long for me. Why would I use it? Yeah, um, like, like I mean, why? Like, what makes it such a useful tool for optimizing? As in, how do you find? How do you use it to find things? Yes. Okay. So, uh, given a function, usually, actually, I'm usually playing video games or board games when I'm doing this sort of thing. And, and, you know, who, who uses mathematics for real-world stuff? <laughs> it's always video games trying to maximize the damage output of a certain character I have, whatever, whatever. Uh, the idea is you you're, you're generally going to have a formula. Often this formula will have multiple variables in it. And one of the things that you want to do is you want to take the derivative of this function, which is kind of, I guess, you draw a straight line through the point such that that line, I guess, kind of only touches it once, at least like right around that point. And that would be called a tangent line. And what you do is if that tangent line goes to zero, that's going to be a, uh, it's either going to be a max or a min, or it might be a saddle point, as in everything around it might be above or below it. Um, but the point is, is that setting this equal to zero, often that, you know, setting this, t you take the derivative, set the tangent line equal to zero, and that's usually fairly easy to solve. It's usually, at least in a lot of cases. It's usually just solving the zero of a polynomial, and usually the polynomial is not. It's usually degree four or less if people are actually trying to bother to solve it. Uh, sans that, you usually just try to get as near zero as possible using approximation methods. So, yeah, you just make the space all discrete and try to get near zero. And, I don't know, it's kind of dumb, but it works. Plus, it enables you to maximize your character damage output, which is obviously what we're all mathematicians for. Mm -hmm. Yep, <laughs> sounds about right. <laughs> uh, no, that was a, it's, I think that the amount of types of problems that you can ap apply the, the cal this calculus method to um, is very good as well. Um, although some of, them, some of them do seem rather trivial. Um, but... Uh, uh, I think that, that that's where the usefulness comes from is that, that because of the way it's 
it is really with the calculus it is so simple just take the derivative and set it equal to zero mm. and and then it's um that that's what makes it really useful to me it's a simple method that has a wide application in the real world or video game world or video game world yes. like armor versus speed wait, wait, versus you te- wait are you telling output? me the, you telling me the video game world is not the real world oh sorry no <laughs> uh, now, now, one of the main problems with uh, the calculus-based style of optimization is that it's really only useful for single equations. Mm. So I mean, if you're just trying to optimize a function, say the size of a, you know, the volume of a box or something like that, where you're able to, you know, somehow define it with, you know, a single variable, even multiple variables in calculus you can deal with. Yeah. Uh, but... If, what if you have a bunch of constraints or something like that, which is how most optimization problems work. You're not, you don't have a single function. Yeah. You, you have a single function that you're optimizing, but you have a lot of other stuff mm-hmm. going on about what your available possible uh, mm-hmm. set is. Now, uh, optimization apparently goes back to Gauss uh, uh, using something called... everything else. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, something called uh, steepest descent. Hmm. And that's, uh, according to Wikipedia, it's it, to find a local mini- minimum of a function using gradient descent, one takes uh, steps proportional to the negative of the gradient of the function at the current point. Uh, so this would be for a three-dimensional surface. I, I, I don't really know. I don't even know what gradient means. I'm just oh. reading what's on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, well, it's like a three-dimensional derivative. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and, and so it's just, you kind of go down. I think you probably go down until the gradient, like, switches or something like that. Yeah, it's a little bit like Newton's method, but in three dimensions. Yeah, well, let's not mention Newton's method on this podcast. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's Leibniz's method. Is that <laughs> <it>? <laughs> I was actually, actually uh, on on Twitter the other day. Uh, a buddy of mine who I met when I was in England uh, back in November, uh, Pradesha, on Twitter, uh, sent out a tweet about uh, something that Newton had not stolen from <laughs> Leibniz. I'm like, oh, oh, that's hilarious. And uh, did it have to do with alchemy? <laughs> See, this guy Solving. gets it. He gets it. <laughs> Trying to You know, I just realized, I don't, I don't even know if she actually listens to this podcast. I think she might listen to Math Maths, not mm. this one at all. I'll have to let her know that she got mentioned. I may have completely butchered her tweet, too. Now, now I feel the need to, to go onto Twitter and uh, check this out. I, I'll let you know at the, at the end. Or someone else talk about uh, something. I don't know. Well, there are a few um, classic problems in uh, optimization um, that were handled by the calculus of variations. Um, there was well, the, what, uh, it, what is the calculus of variations? Well, um, as I understand it from my uh, classical mechanics courses in the physics department, um, one has a functional, which is really just a real valued function where the input to this object is, a, is itself a function. Okay. So it's a function of a function that outputs a real value. Well, we can ask what function or set of functions extremizes this functional, meaning produces either a value that is maximum or minimum. Usually it's minimum, though. Um, and it remarkably turns out that the solution... Yeah, it's like difference in the... Poten- usually it's difference in potential versus kinetic. And so it's the uh, method of least action. So you minimize that. 
And then once you the carry out the uh, the actual program uh, of um, you know finding this function, you end up with a uh, a partial differential equation or set of partial differential equations that are the equations of motion for your physical system. So if you want to figure out what your physical system is going to do, you just have to solve that. But that's a completely different problem. Okay. Well, what sort of yeah. what sort of things has this now? You said there was some classical problems that it solved. So what has what were they? You, Chris, you're, you're the one who said me. it. There is the Berchistochron. I hope I'm saying that right. Berchistochron. Yeah, we, we talked about that yeah. a couple what? episodes Wait, ago. I haven't heard this one. Oh, oh no, no. You you know it. It's the uh, the shortest path. The curve oh, shortest yeah, path yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The path of least uh, time uh, from one point to another through um, uh, travel. So, for instance, a bead traveling along a wire mm -hmm. um, with, say, zero friction, only under the influence of gravity. Uh, will travel, will say, take a certain amount of time to travel from, say, point A to point B. What is the shape of the wire that minimizes the, the travel time from point A to point yeah. B? Um, but there are other questions, other, uh, you know, very old problems that um, were solved. Was it by um, some of the Bernoullis, or maybe all of the Bernoullis, had some contribution to that, of course. Yeah, well, the Bricristicone was <laughs> a Bernoulli solution. That Bernoulli posed and Bernoulli solved, just different ones, and I can't remember which direction. That was one of the Jacob Johan mm -hmm. debacles. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what Pradesh uh, said was, saw, saw Leibniz's name on my course notes for today on something Newton didn't try to steal from him. <laughs> Winky face. There's uh, <laughs> actually a... Oh, I'm sorry. It, uh, uh, yeah, Chris, so it wouldn't... stop saying you're sorry. Just say what you're going to fucking say. There's a surprising result. Um, given two circles of uh, possibly different radii that are parallel to each other, um, what surface uh, has those two circles as their boundary? So think of them as end caps for some can or whatever. What surface has minimum surface area but has those two circles as their boundary? And it turns out that the shape that you get, the surface that you get is... Um, is a hyper is a um, hyperboloid. Uh, hyperboloid, yes. Um, that would actually make sense. Well, but I mean, it, it just seems counterintuitive in the sense that if you wanted to enclose a wire, for instance, for coaxial cable, using the smallest amount of material, one might think, "Oh, it's a cylinder," but it's not. Yeah. Okay, and, and so as I mentioned, I mean, it started uh, with Gauss, but it's not until uh, what what do we got here about nineteen. 39 uh that it really starts becoming big and this is uh thanks to george b dantzig not danzig not the former lead singer of the misfits george dantzig uh who actually uh introduced the term linear programming hmm. uh, which we're now going to spend some time talking about hmm. and now programming in this is not your typical definition of programming it actually comes from a, a u.s army term uh, dealing with uh, logistics and scheduling and stuff. Mm. So it, it makes sense to deal with optimization. If you're dealing with logistics, you're trying yeah, to optimize trying, uh, it. Mm -hmm. And so creating the best program, or in other words, programming. And and so that's where the uh, term came from. And Danzig's also the person who uh, ended up publishing the simplex algorithm. Ugh, mm. oh, 1947. And now currently one of the fastest growing areas of computer research, uh, algorithm research. But it's uh, not very fast if you're doing it by hand. Uh, <laughs> all, most optimization Mission. algorithms are not no. very fast when you're doing them by hand. As a matter of fact, I could make an argument that uh, 
Unless it's about two or three steps. Yeah, for <laughs> that for a linear programming problem, simplex is probably the fastest of the by hands other than the I'm smarter than all my students, I can look at this and tell you what the answer is because it's obvious to me. Method. Right. Which apparently is not acceptable. Until uh, you have your PhD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then it counts as a superpower. <laughs> uh, and then um, and something else, uh, uh, and someone else that we, um, we have spoken about before on the podcast, John von Neumann, hmm. uh, also introduced something uh, referred to as duality, which is going to become very, very important for of, dealing with linear programming. Of linear spaces? Uh, no, he actually developed the theory of duality. Oh, because he's John von Neumann, no, and an insane, brilliant man who drove his car into trees all the time because he was reading while driving. Chris, this is why we I don't had, let you get a driver's license. Yeah, I'd heard of like the dual space in what was it, linear algebra, and I heard this, something similar in algebraic topology. Yeah, I, his he started uh, introducing just the theory, the idea of mm, a dual. of. of duels and duality dealing with uh game theory mm. because once again yeah. he's von neumann so he's dealing with game theory so linear programming is pretty much what it sounds like you're dealing with a linear function that you're trying to optimize some linear function the hard part about it comes from the generally large amount of constraints Thanks. that you put on to the possible solution set and i realized we actually completely forgot to talk about something here and uh that's about the idea of existence and conditions the existence of solutions yeah Yeah. Uh, and and that that's something for a lot of different optimization uh problems there are ways to test for existence Mm -hmm. um in uh, linear programming, there's uh, if it's in standard if the problem is in standard form, uh, solution exists, and that means that uh, all of the const- so we're dealing with constraints. So you you have your, you have your function, and you have uh, linear constraints mm-hmm. uh, put on, which are uh, inequalities, linear inequalities, and so what what you have if for it to be in standard form is all of the variables have to be greater than or equal to zero. So you should have a constraint x1 is greater than or equal to zero, xi for all mm-hmm. i is greater than or equal to zero. And then also all of the other ones must be uh, linear combinations that are less than or equal to some positive mm-hmm. number. Uh, and uh, if a it... giant weird box-ish thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. you end up... It with something, if it's two-dimensional, you end up with something in the first quadrant uh, that is all boxed up. Mm-hmm. And if if it's something that's completely closed off on all sides and has both minimum and maximum, uh, and if it's something that's only closed on the bottom part, then it... Uh, oh, I'd imagine the maximum would depend on whether it was strict inequality or less than or equal to. Is that, Am I getting the right picture here? Well, uh, no, you, you never... You have less than or equal to. Oh, always. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because you need to be able to take. Well, that's the values. what I'm saying. You need the boundary. Yeah, yeah. You need to have the boundary. Yeah. So you're not going to be given constraints that are strictly less than. That's just going to screw everything up. Well, that's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm sorry. I thought I said it during when I was talking about the standard 
Oh, I'll, maybe and so you if probably, something you probably did, I'm yeah, just trying to get. The if picture. something is in standard form, then it does have a maximum value. Hmm. Is it? I mean, uh, given these constraints, uh, does that guarantee that our solution or the the the, uh, the domain that we're looking at for this objective function is a bounded subset? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, the the standard the standard form oh, I, uh, forces bounded. Yeah, it forces bounded. I'm wondering about compactness. Is this always a finite number of variables? Uh, all the all the ones I have dealt with are. Well, because uh, that, that's what forces the max or the min. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I teach this generally to freshmen. Okay. I, yeah, we they don't, don't know compactness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, I really don't know much about compactness. I deal in discrete sets. Oh. I never have the question about infinite. So it's like a discrete box. <laughs> <laughs> but these uh, these uh, these hyperplanes, I'm I mean, they stuff could... Up. Hyperplanes? When do we get the hyperplanes? <laughs> well, the, the const each constraint is, uh, in general, a hyperplane. So a hyperplane is a four-dimensional plane. Well, you can have an n-dimensional hyperplane if you have n variables in your uh, objective function. But uh, I mean, how does how does this work on a computer? I mean, Wait, why would a computer? Computers fucking love the simplex algorithm, which I haven't even had a chance to talk about. Why wouldn't they? It's a weird. Pr it's a it I. I'll get into why they like it later on. Uh, I why do you question why computers would like it? I just worry about round off error. I mean, is it, are the are the solutions we, usually like fairly stable? The, the round the what? Would, well, they have to be stable. There exists it's a yeah. maximum. Yeah, uh, it's yeah, it's a linear problem. You're not you don't have any round off error. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know what your yeah, it should not I, be hard. Yeah, I don't know what you're thinking. Is the objective function usually a linear function? Of it's the, uh... linear programming. Yes. Uh, it's kind of required. <laughs> well, that's, nice. Uh, that's nice, then. I mean, everything is as nice as possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, now that we know what we're talking about, it seems trivial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, this is easy. This is easy. Man, now there, we can there do is it. A solution. Yeah, well, <laughs> the problem is actually finding it because a lot of it, a lot of the problem is not actually, um, it's not actually dealing with the function itself the function is linear who cares it's, yeah. it's fine the problem is dealing with what could be an incredibly ugly set of feasible points mm -hmm. i mean you could be dealing yeah. in an n-dimensional thing with three in equation or three in inequalities so how many oh yeah there could be a lot of lines and set oh, of points yeah and, and so let's let's think about uh, the two-dimensional optimization mm -hmm. case two di i mean and this is something you can do graphically mm -hmm. something i imagine most people who've listened to this have done graphically what you do is you you graph the lines that correspond to all the inequalities mm -hmm. and then uh you shade in all the areas and whatever is shaded by all of them is your set of feasible points and then what you have to check the corner points just the corner, corner points. points and that's actually okay so now we should probably talk about the simplex method which is the most common used way of solving linear programming and i i know two people here hate the simplex method i usually just send them to you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah which is great because i really want to help students who aren't mine you're a tutor you get paid for it i don't i don't get paid any extra for helping students i don't have to help um and so this this is a weird kind of matrix method for solving it and it, and it involves a understanding a few things 
One, understanding what an inequality actually means. An inequality just means that there is some value, uh, some non-negative non value, uh, since we're dealing with less than or equal to, uh, that exists between whatever is uh, it, like whatever has variables in it and then whatever your constant term on the other side is. And because that's, I mean, that's what it means. I mean, if you have X plus Y is less than four, that is essentially the same thing as saying that X plus Y plus Z is equal to four, where mm -hmm. Z is the difference between, between X plus Y and four. Term the slack variables. Slack variables. <laughs> uh, and so you input oh, all really of those. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's usually S, S1, S2, S through S. I was thinking slack or variable. Slack. <laughs> but I mean, it, it, like that's I mean, that's a, actually a pretty elegant hack, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it seems obvious, but when you see what it actually lets you do because that lets you put it into a matrix. Mhm. Mm um because now you have equalities and now you're starting to do your basic linear algebra sort of stuff and what you're going to do is you're going to pivot and what the pivot does is it brings it, it brings uh, the function that you're trying to optimize along all of the, well, along a series of corner points until you get to the maximum one through something called pivoting, which is uh, essentially a turning, you're taking a column, making only one entry one and making all the rest of them zero. Mm -hmm. Oh, they call that pivoting? Yeah. I call it Gram-Schmidt diagonalization. Uh, except you're not diagonalizing. Is it Gauss-Jordan elimination? No, no, no. You're not. You're not doing that. You might pivot on the same row more than once, where you make the previous one not one anymore. Oh, because each row only has one. You know, you. I mean, there might be more than one one, but it only has one one that has zeros all the way everywhere else in its column. Mm. And you don't need to make it diagonal. Mm. So it, it's not Gram-Schmidt diagonalization. Okay. It's something different that seems to just piss people off, right, Cody? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's and it turns out to be a rather elegant thing, and it's something that computers can do very well, which is odd because computers are great at linear algebra. But this is an exponential space, or it's an exponential time algorithm. The okay. the simplex method is it's not a polynomial time; it's an exponential time algorithm. It's in uh oh something. Oh, something to the act, or it's something to the end. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't remember what exactly, because there is this weird group of uh, possible constraints that send you into this. Mm. But it turns out that that almost never happens, except with this insane uh, specific type of constraints that never actually occur in, in the, the real world. world. <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out that that this it almost always runs in polynomial time so you know it's kind of like one of those complex or uh real analysis things it's an ae you know it's almost Al everywhere. almost everywhere polynomial <laughs> almost everywhere uh <laughs> except we uh it, we haven't been able to show it's a set of measure zero yet uh, <laughs> uh and and so it, it turns out and they people a lot of people are working on modifying the simplex algorithm to always run in polynomial time and mm -hmm. it still has not been proven that there's not some variant that always works but it's it, but it's it's sort of it's i i really like the simplex method i it all came down to this is gonna be a weird story one night i was trying to fall asleep 
<laughs> Sounds like me last night. I was up till 6 a.m. thinking about math. Okay, I, I wasn't quite that bad. I was trying to fall asleep, and I, I just couldn't. I'd not exercised in a few days, which usually means that I'm going to have problems falling asleep. And so I just laid there, and I'd been laying there for somewhere around an hour at this point, you know, planning various things that I never ended up following through on. But that's what I tend to use my extra mental cycles when I can't fall asleep to do. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about the simplex method because I was just starting to teach it. And I'm like, I don't know how this works. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like this weird image popped into my head uh, of some sort of multi-dimensional uh, feasible space. Okay. And like the simplex method started running in my head and I saw essentially the thing rotate. I'm like, oh, that's how it, it works. works. And it was just like that one moment it just clicked in my head. Never since. It just like I love it and it, it's just the most amazing thing to me that that such a simple kind of robotic thing lets you mm. solve such a what is really a computationally hard right. problem. Yeah. And it, it's a hard thing to visualize, especially when you get into like 10, 20 variables. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy thing to do. So, Cody, why do you hate it? Well, you yeah, know, well, the thing is, is that I spent a long time tutoring at the tutoring clinic at UNLV. And this question came up a lot. And every semester. What class it, is this? Uh, this is finite 132. Math. Oh. Yeah, finite math. And so I, every semester I was getting through students where we had to do this. And so it's, the, the thing is, is that it is a step-by-step algorithm. All the steps are very clear. But in terms of working it out on paper, there's quite a few steps. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a nice one where, yeah, you only have to pivot once or twice. Yeah, but robots can solve it. If they just turned off their brain and just did it rote, they shouldn't have a problem. Right. Well, and and so it actually leads me into kind of a funny story, similar to yours. I was a, step, a student of mine. Uh, I was well. No, no, no. It was relating to your previous oh, story. Okay. Um, I uh, I had it was helping a student with the simplex method, and so she had no idea what was going on. So I was like, okay, let's do an example. And so I'm working through it, and I'm going through, and this poor girl is falling asleep while I'm <laughs> while I'm going through the steps. And I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of saying it was in monotone, like, so we see that this is the next negative value in the objective row, and so then we're going to make this one up in here by the less one and then we are going to to divide everything by this number and then we are going to add and subtract these and she's just falling asleep when you get into computer mode it, yeah your again, voice goes and the, well like that's that. the thing you talk about <laughs> if you if you just go into robot mode it's like okay i'm just going to crank this out real quick and that's one thing but the fact is when you have to try and listen to somebody and understand how yeah, to somebody do it, else can, in robot mode yeah it's, yeah uh, well that that's why i try not to go into robot mode when i do it i try to force them to like I, there there's a point when you start teaching linear algebra stuff and linear optimization stuff that you actually have to try to train your students to go into robot mode, mm. like, which is not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be teaching them critical thinking skills and to be able to look at a problem and, tr- and understand the different ways you can attack it, you know, using the, uh, 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 fuck, uh, famous math teachers starting with a P. They have a prize named after them. The Putnam. Poiss- the Putnam? No. Oh. What were you going to say? Poisson? No, not... No. Polya. Polya. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Polya, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Polya. You know, his, his, you know, like five steps of looking at a real world problem. Like those are the things you're supposed to be teaching them. Mm. But sometimes you just have to give in and just be like, this is going to be rote, straight up 
calculations. Mm. You're going to multiply and add fractions. That is all you're going to be doing. And you're going to do it 150 times. <laughs> yeah, I remember first in linear algebra, it's like three pages for any homework problem. And it's like all the same steps over and over and over and over again. You just well, keep it, writing the, it thing, the thing about doing something like the simplex math, doing something like linear algebra, you have to do it the same exact way every single time. Yep. You have, to, you have to get a method that works for you and you have to do it the exact same way so that when you get an answer that is clearly incorrect, a little bit easier to test linear algebra than it is a linear programming. But so you can go back and you, you have every single step written down. You have mm-hmm. the, way you, the way it's always notated written down so that you can tell exactly where step you went wrong. Uh, and that's something I cannot get my students to do. Mm-hmm. They will not consistently notate. And I do it on the board because it, it drives me nuts because mm-hmm. I have to use a much heavier notation than what mm-hmm. I use right. when I'm actually doing it because mm-hmm. I'm very, very fast with linear algebra stuff. And so I have to slow myself down and clearly notate everything. And then they don't do it. Yeah. And they don't do it exactly the same way I'm doing, which I yell at them to do because if they do that, then they can go back into their notes. Mm-hmm. And see exactly what I did and see exactly what they should be doing. Are, are these row operations that, that we're doing yeah. when we do the pivoting? Yeah. So, so each uh, time we apply a row operation, it's equivalent to a change of basis in the n-dimensional exactly. space. Okay. Huh. Yeah, that, that's exactly what you're doing, except you're, you're base, it's not really basis. You're just kind of rotating around points on the outside of or on the border of this uh, you know, shape of feasible points. And, and not only that, you're always traveling along vertices or along mm-hmm. the edges of connection because you never end up in the middle because of the proof. Oh, this is something we should mention. Uh, the answer is always at the corner points, no matter what the dimension is. Mm-hmm. It will always be on a corner point, which is just weird. I've, I've never actually seen a proof of that, but that is funky to me. I, I can understand it on the two-dimensional thing, because uh, say you, you have some thing, you just put the uh, function line through and you just, man, I'm apparently knocking Cody out talking about this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, and you move it up in you move it up for, uh, <laughs> you move it up for maximization and it will always end up the, la- the last time it intersects, mm-hmm. it'll intersect at yeah. least at a corner point. It might intersect along an entire edge, right. but at least at a corner point so now uh, what's what's a dual because say because uh the simplex method solves for maximum values it does not solve for minimum values. so what do you do if you need to solve a minimum value problem you create the dual of which the, is which is what um okay so you set up uh, okay let me see if i can remember how to do this it's been a while you set up the coefficient matrix of the system of constraints and then you take the transpose yeah yep that's that's exactly it. And then you and you rewrite those right, as less than or equal to's instead of greater than. Right, or equal and to's. then you and then you do the maximization problem on that one. And when you maximize the dual, you've minimized your original yep. problem and done. Yeah, it, it, and it's this oh. this amazing theory that, as we said, uh, von Neumann was the one who originally posited it. That uh, <laughs> just saying like. Oh well, if it's if it's the minimum of some problem, it has to be the maximum, maximum of another. another 
It's like, well, you know, in a way that makes sense. And then that there's such, at least for linear programming, such a cheap and easy little way to get to it. And all it involves is transposing a matrix. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about other types of optimization. Now, there's combinatorial optimization. Mm. Counting problem optimization, right? Uh, essentially, but we're talking a little bit more, you know, minimum spanning trees, oh, okay. uh, traveling salesmen. Sort, uh, sorting algorithms? Yes. Uh, sorting. S- yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, sorting algorithms, yes. Uh, but there you're trying to optimize something different. I, I don't even know if you could actually write them as an optimization problem. As a tree, though, I think. I mean, one could. Oh, yeah. Know. No, like for different, you sort trees, yes. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Now that I understand what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, and so I mean, we've talked rather heavily about these when we talked about both algorithms and combinatorics because combinatorics is essentially an optimization subject mm. in many ways, or at least most of the interesting problems are optimization yeah. problems. Coloring problems. Yeah. That's an optimization problem. Uh, or a and, minimization. Yeah, or a minimiz- <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's an optimization. Optimization okay. is not an incorrect word there. I did not say maximization. Okay. Uh, and I, it, and this, is, this is one point where as that guy who wrote in, uh, it, it, spouting his love for brute force methods, uh, it turns out this is an area where brute force methods are very useful. You just <laughs> With put, the patience. Yeah, you just put everything in, just be like, <laughs> test it. Yep. Just test it. And uh, and then you get it. I mean, because it's kind of a. I mean, since it's discrete, it's kind of a counting thing. You just mm-hmm. check everything, yep. and whatever, either the smallest or the largest, depending on what you're looking for. I mean, really, it's only a finite number of things, right? It ought to be easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the the amount of uh, elements in the universe <laughs> is also finite. Yeah, that's, can't be that much. Just, <laughs> just check them all. <laughs> okay. Uh, and uh, you also use something uh, referred to as dynamic programming when you're doing uh, combinatorial optimization, which is just kind of uh, you split things into simpler subproblems, which is actually an actual uh, another term of programming. It's a way of optimizing algorithms. <laughs> so, so this one's even close to, closer to computer programming, but mm. not quite there. And so now there's also nonlinear programming. Anyone want to guess what that is? Um, optimizing an objective function with respect to nonlinear constraints. And nonlinear objective functions. And nonlinear well. objective, yeah. objective yeah. functions. So it's just, it's a linear programming problem, but everything can be nonlinear. Mm. And apparently it's a lot harder to solve. It can be very difficult. I mean, yeah. if you're even if you're moving in small step sizes, if your objective function is... Um, not very well behaved, or if, 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 even if it's continuous, it might change very rapidly in a small ball or yeah, a ball of small. Yeah, your things rate. might not be at the corners anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. <laughs> that's what I was saying. Like you don't have corner points. Yeah. Uh, and one way that uh, apparently, at least people try to solve this, is something called least squares. Least squares. That's for. Um, don't they use that in linear regressions? Yes, I believe they do. Man. Apparently, they also use it in optimization problems. Well, it's in... Oh, uh, which was also another method first described by Gauss. No. Mm. <laughs> uh, first episode you were ever on, buddy. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, that's... Um, 
That's kind of... I completely forgot what I was going to say now. I'm sorry. It's only about least squares. Least squares. Oh, yeah. Linear regressions. I always kind of thought as a, a linear regression as a, as a type of optimization problem because you know you have a you have a bunch of dots on a graph and you want to create yeah, a line, get in line in that best that. approximates these uh you know this dots or this you know the, a function that best approximates a linear function that best, best approximates the behavior of these dots best is often yeah it subjective it depends on the spread <laughs> of your dots if your dots yeah. have a wide spread it's going to be a horrible yeah. linear uh, linear function that approximates your your thing and then that's when you need like a non-linear function to approximate which is again hmm. horrible okay so do do any of you have a favorite type of optimization um i, I actually this i don't know if you could consider this one um, a type of optim i i consider it optimizing just by the intuitive definition of, of that. But um, if you have a system of equations that is inconsistent, so it has no solution, um, you can actually, there are methods in, in linear algebra that allow you to come up with a, uh, a, uh, a system of solutions that does have, uh, or system of equations that does have a solution, but is very close to your inconsistent uh, system of So, equations. I mean, it's kind of an... Uh, optimization approximation method. right exactly mm -hmm. and that was that was using generalized inverses of matrices and stuff like that i never actually got into it as much as i could but i always thought it was super cool hey, mm -hmm. what about you anthony most of my optimization problems now involve infinite numbers though <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not sure if that's as cool <laughs> but so one of the How things fuck it up just a second. I think we might be able to keep this in the small cardinals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, omega is small. And then there's the large cardinals, which are the measurable cardinals. And, yeah, given a, ba given a, uh, a set of some order type, I'm trying to find the minimum basis element, number of basis elements okay. for that particular topology. And if I can figure that out, that actually gives me a lot of my dissertation. Chris? I like um, minimal surfaces. It's very aesthetically pleasing, um, given like, uh, given. Um, I can think of so many bad jokes to go with that. <laughs> Let him continue. Okay. Uh, given. You know what, uh, Anthony? You're fucking muted. It's the first mute. <laughs> Guys have been very well behaved. <laughs> given a, a finite set of um, smooth closed curves, so loops uh, in say three dimensional space, one can ask uh, what surface has these loops as their, uh, as their boundary set. Um, so it's like a surface, it's like a pair of pants where the edge of the bottom of your cuff, uh, both cuffs and also the waist form the loops that are the boundary mm -hmm. of the pants material. Well, one could construct are, minimal pants. Are those, I've, I hear a lot about those in complex analysis. Is that where you're finding these things from? Uh, well, they, they have uh, a lot of the tools from differential uh, geometry are used to find oh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the equations of, or description of these minimal surfaces. Um, but I, I know it has, I'm sure it has applications to string theory. The pair of skinny jeans yeah. possible. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> I, I, I want to thank my friends over at Jordan Jesse Go. Uh, for putting the kibosh on skinny jeans. Uh, if you are a hard, if you are a super skinny punk rocker, you can wear them until you're 25. If you're just a sk super skinny person in general, apparently you can wear them till you're 21, but you shouldn't. And uh, if yeah, you're happened. not super skinny, you know, just moderately skinny, you can wear them while you're in high school because 
who cares? But if you are even moderately overweight, you're not allowed wearing them. And and I'm okay with those rules. And I'm okay with sticking with them. So no minimally skinny. I don't think I like jeans. skinny jeans at all. Well, we can I no, no, I, I don't. I don't personally like them. But some people want to wear them. I think that we can we can stick with that. Or say our our buddy uh, another a fellow math person, Lucas, who has no choice <laughs> but to wear to skinny, skinny jeans. <laughs> because if he wore normal size jeans, he would drown in them. Uh, okay, so that that's going to be it for optimization. We do have some more things to talk about. Uh, I want to uh, thank Alex Corner, uh, who I uh, yelled at earlier in the episode, for finally sending the I listen and I hate you to the right uh, Twitter account, but he still hasn't sent it to Samuel at AcmeScience.com. Now, this is something I've been asking for for quite a while. I want our listeners, I want every single listener, because you have a, you're listening to podcasts, I know that you have email. Uh, I want every single listener to send me an email that states in the subject line, I listen and I hate you. Whether or not, and that's to Samuel at AcmeScience.com. Whether or not you want to put anything in the body, I'll, I'll lift those restrictions. And if you send it within the next two weeks, there's a special prize for you. Brandon has said that he uh, will pay for the creation of a photo of me getting stomped on <laughs> by all of the guests on combinations and permutations. And then apparently we're all going to sign it. And so if you... Uh, if you send the I listen and I hate you email to Samuel at AcmeScience.com. You could be in the running for this awesome prize. And there might be a couple of other uh, Acme Science related things or possibly Brandon mentioned something else. I mean, it, it's it's an actual prize. So if you send it in, uh, I will make sure that you get at least that photo and probably a couple of other things. So, right, they guys, they should send in that email, right? Can I yeah. send in an email? No. Oh. <laughs> uh, you you are you are not allowed uh, because you have to be in the picture. Yeah, uh, that's why we want the. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll be able to get access to the picture. Anyone okay. anyone who's buddies with Brandon should be able to get access to uh, the yeah, picture. That's, that's true. Shouldn't be an issue. I just I don't want I a think picture. I just want to do the, the stomping. <laughs> well, you don't have to send in the email at all for that, Chris. <laughs> okay, uh, and so second uh, bit of business, we finally got a response to the math orgy question. <laughs> So it, so uh, we have a couple guests who are not here, and one person who's incredibly uncomfortable talking about this. Do you have any hand sanitizer? Uh, <laughs> later on, I do. Don't worry, we're not going to whip it out. You quite need yet. you need brain sanitizer for what's going on Okay, so what here. this what this question was is if you could have an orgy with the direct blood descendants of any famous mathematicians, which mathematicians would you choose? This sounds like a very bad time. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There, there was, there was a direct blood descendant who is both an Euler and a Bernoulli, because mm. one of the Bernoullis married uh, Euler's granddaughter. Mm. So, and that's kind of where this idea came from. And so, uh, fair call on Twitter uh, sent a message in saying that uh, he would take a direct descendant from Ada Lovelace, uh, Rudy Rucker. And one of the Bernoullis. And he said that so that he could get Lord Byron, uh, George Friedrich Hegel, and uh, 
Herman Hess for free in that. <laughs> because, of course, Ada Lovelace is the daughter of Lord Byron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rudy Rucker is, uh, I want to say, great-great-great-grandson of Hegel. Which mm. is insane, because Rucker's still alive. I, I quite like Rucker. I, I read his fiction quite often, because he's really he's an incredibly talented uh, when was Hegel? author. Wasn't he like... Uh, yeah, so it's great-great-great-grandson. Hmm. Uh, 1770 early. to 1831. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, as we mentioned on the Bernoulli episode, uh, Herman Hess is a direct descendant. Well, it's, it actually married into the Bernoullis, I believe, mm. was what it was. And so, fair call. Thank you very much. And anyone who has anything uh, to do with that can send me a Twitter at Acme Science or send me an email. I've already said it enough times. I don't feel like mentioning it again. Uh, I think that that's, that's all the uh, kind of business and correspondence stuff taken care of. So, you guys have anything else to say for yourselves? What's your Bernoulli number? Ooh. I don't know, but I have an Aerodash number of three, bitch. Oh, nice. <laughs> mine is still... Actually, I think mine is a large cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Measurable. <laughs> yeah. There may only be a finite number of particles in the universe, <laughs> but you're outside. What about you? You got anything to say for yourself, Cody? I think my, my Aerodash number is currently undefined, but... Infinite. It's defined as infinite if you have not published. But I am working on reducing that number. To I what? To finite. I don't know yet. <laughs> Too finite. Yeah, that's kind of the goal here. <laughs> Too finite. So. Too finite, yeah. Yeah. Anthony, you got anything? I know people who have Aerodo number. <laughs> yeah, numbers. you know me. Oh, there you go. See? Okay. Uh, so so I, should, for, I should have like a three and a half for that. So for Christopher Bates, Anthony Solari, Cody Palmer, I am Samuel Hansen, and I hope that you check out the next episode of this thing, which we'll release like next week or something. Nah. Bye. And that is it for another episode of Combinations and Permutations. If you have any feedback or perhaps you want to enter the I Listen and I Hate You contest, please email me, samuel at acmescience.com. Also be sure to head on over to acmescience.com where you can see a bunch of links about the topics that we talked about in today's episode. Or you can check out Sam and Dan and Buckaroo Bonsai or Strongly Connect Components. Trust me, they're both probably better shows than this. The theme music and the outro music is from SP12, who you can find over at opsound.org. And this podcast is, as always, released under Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. I really have nothing funny to go here. Not that what I say is ever really that funny, but usually I got something. So thank you very much for listening, and I hope that you come back and you check us out in the next episode of combinations and permutations.